Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemont podcast. In today's podcast, we'll be hearing from Richard Silver and Nicole Kuchin of the Whale Cornell Medical College in New York, and they're going to be sharing the latest updates on interferons for myeloproliferative neoplasms as presented at the 2021 Texas MPN Workshop Second Annual Workshop and Meeting. Firstly, we're going to hear from Professor Richard Silver. Richard, could you give us a brief overview of the latest trial updates on the use of interferon alpha for the treatment of polycythemia vera? The question is, uh, what is the update on the treatment of polycythemia vera with alpha interferon? So for 30 years since uh, we introduced uh, interferon for the treatment of PV, there have been many phase two trials and single-arm studies of PV, both in the United States, conducted by us and others, and especially in Europe, uh, conducted by our friends and colleagues there. This, uh, unhappily, was not satisfactory for uh, regulatory approval. And so finally, there have been two major phase two, excuse me, phase three studies that have recently been reported. The first is by uh, my colleague and friend, Heinz Ginslinger in Austria, who conducted the so-called Conti-PV study and showed that interferon was superior in high-risk PV patients, as defined by the European leukemia net as high-risk, was superior to hydroxyurea. And that study has been now um, been underway for about five years. And it shows that interferon is superior to hydroxyurea because it causes a better hematologic response and a better uh, reduction in the jack to allele burden. It probably has less toxicity over the long term than hydroxyurea. And now we know that, not from this study specifically, but by beginning by, by three to five years, you can get definite morphologic response in the bone marrow with restoration of normal marrow architecture, as shown by our group and confirmed by the group at MD Anderson. The other very important study was that by the Italians, led by my good friend and colleague, Professor Tiziana Babui, who showed that in early polycythemia vera, as defined by the European leukemia net, or low-risk patients who traditionally have been treated in many centers by phlebotomy only, a method we don't particularly favor, that interferon is superior to phlebotomy only because it reduces the phlebotomy requirement. It, it also leads to, the, to the, the sustenance and the sustaining of the hematocrit at a, at a level of 45% or less. And there is a reduction in symptoms as compared to phlebotomy-only patients. So that trial has only been reported as, as of a year, but is continuing and we look forward to uh, more results as the study goes along. So finally, we have phase three studies, which hopefully will satisfy the regulatory agencies. And in fact, in Europe, the study by Dr. Gisslinger has been approved by the European authorities, not as yet in the United States or Canada, hopefully so uh, soon. Uh, a study that is underway, sponsored by a pharmaceutical company known as Pharmacentia, is comparing the use of 
interferon and anegrelide in patients with uh, essential thrombocythemia or polycythemia vera uh, to ropeg interferon. That is a monopegylated interferon, and that means it has only one isoform of interferon compared to 10 or 11 in other forms of interferon, and it's bound to a proline uh, pegylation, and thus it allows for administration every two to four weeks. So that's a great advantage to the patient. And theoretically, these uh, delayed injections may lead to a sustained blood level and higher activity throughout the treatment period. That study is underway, a very exciting study that's being conducted worldwide uh, and results are accruing. Next, we're going to hear about the use of pegylated interferon for the treatment of polycythemia vera and essential thrombocythemia in younger people. Dr. Kuchin, could you tell us more about this study? When thinking about treating young patients with MPNs, I think there's a few different questions that physicians debate in their minds about how best to treat these patients. And I think probably one of the biggest questions is, is when to start treatment. So I think in an older adult, it might be very straightforward, but in a young person, potentially exposing them to the risks of cytoreductive treatment and the thought of being on medication for long periods of time is maybe a little more controversial and challenging. So the question of when to treat, I think, is really one of the most difficult ones to answer. And I don't think there's a right answer. You know, if you ask some folks, they'll say we should treat everyone because we want to try to decrease risk of disease progression and complications. If you ask some doctors, they'll say we should only treat young patients who have had a significant event like a blood clot or a major bleeding event or some patients who really don't do well just on phlebotomy and aspirin, if they have PV or they might have a lot of hard to control symptoms, maybe those are the patients who need cytoreduction. Sometimes in kids also, we really wanna focus on quality of life. So let's say there's a young patient who is an athlete and is very involved in sports and has acquired von Willebrand's disease because of an extremely high platelet count, and they're unable to participate in sports because of the bleeding risk. Maybe that's a patient who should be put on cytoreductive therapy. So at least for me, I think of all of those possibilities when I meet new patients, and I think one of the most important things is really speaking to families and discussing risks and benefits of medication versus not treating and really seeing what would work for that particular patient and their family. And then as far as medications for young patients, I think the question of which medication to use upfront is also not totally clear. I think historically hydroxyurea has been the most commonly used medication. It's something that people in the adult medicine world have very strong opinions about. I think in pediatrics, it's pretty universally loved for our experience using it with patients with sickle cell disease, but there are quite a few young patients with MPNs who have used hydroxyurea and have been on it for many years and have done very well. So it's certainly something that I include in discussions with families as one of the frontline agents to use. And then I think the other drug that is not always used by pediatricians, but is starting to be thought about more is pegylated interferon. I think historically folks saw a lot of side effects and young patients didn't tolerate that well. But I think with the new pegylated forms, many young patients are really tolerating it quite well. Um, so I think it's a medication that is really of interest to a lot of people because it has truly the ability to, 
to slow disease progression and actually put patients into remission. So I think that's something that's really valuable. And, and certainly for parents, you know, of young patients talking about a cure or something to, to stop the disease from advancing is really appealing to them. So I personally, when I speak to families about treatment, I usually discuss hydroxyurea and interferon. And depending on the case, I may recommend one or the other um, based on the specifics of that case. But I think they're both appropriate drugs to have in the pediatric, you know, armamentarium. And I think we can use both of them in young patients. I think the more we use interferon in young people, the more pediatricians will get comfortable with it. So that is, I think, something that is helpful. Our group worked with colleagues at other institutions, and we wrote up a case series of pediatric and adolescent and young adult patients using interferon. And I think the more we share that data and the more we talk about interferon use, the more comfortable pediatricians will be with that drug, since it's not something we had historically used for a lot of things in pediatrics. Lastly, we're going to hear from Richard Silver once again, this time on the use of Ropeg interferon for polycythemia vera treatment. Richard, can you tell us about Ropeg interferon and could you talk us through any benefits which have been observed with this treatment so far? Ropeg interferon is a drug that is manufactured by Pharmacentric uh, Corporation. As I mentioned, it differs from the other interferons because it is a single isoform of interferon. Uh, most uh, interference from PEG alpha, PEG alpha 2A, alpha 2B have 11, 10 to 11 isoforms, uh, and there is a different pegylation. What makes ROPEG unique is that it is uh, pegylated to a proline derivative and thus allows for its administration every two to four weeks, leading to a sustained blood level and hopefully to a sustained therapeutic effect. Now, it's very important to point out that there is no qualitative difference between any of the interferons, whether you use the old intron alpha-2b, which had to be given every two to three times a week, or PEG-2a, a Pegasus that was manufactured by Roche, or this Ropeg, as I said, manufactured by Pharmacentia and distributed in Europe by AOP and approved for use in European high-risk so-called polycythemia variant patients as defined by the ELN. So it's the manipulation of the molecule that has uh, been so attractive with Ropeg. It is important to stress that very, very good therapeutic results have been obtained by many investigators, including ourselves, with other forms of interferon, so that it is just a quantitative difference in the way the dose of the drug is administered, rather than any substantial difference between one form of the interferon or another. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. Be sure to subscribe to VJ Hemont Podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple, and Podbean. And follow us on Twitter at VJ Hemont to find out more about MPNs and interferons, as well as much, much more in the field of hematological malignancies. We hope you'll join us for our next podcast. See you then!